The other thing that researchers are looking at is like how much time in the natural world really is transformative, you know, um, because what what they do say is that extended periods of time really in natural spaces, especially disconnected from technology, um, helps reset, you know, our senses, our ability to um, be present, you know, um, and also, you know, dials up creativity. And so a lot of us thought like spending like 30 days in the net, like really disconnected is something that you needed to like reset, you know, cleanse or whatever it might be. And what they're finding is that really those long-term effects of like immersive experiences in nature's, nature can be like achieved in three days. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Going Out Looking In, the podcast about the big questions of life, personal growth and spirituality. My name is Maxi, I'm your host and today we're exploring the world of ecotherapy. Yeah, two of my favorite subjects combined, therapy and nature. <laughs> and that is with Dr. Megan Delaney. Megan is currently assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Monmouth University in New Jersey. Her research explores the influence of the natural world on our mental health and the use of ecotherapy in clinical practice and the counselor education classroom. She's trained in outdoor leadership through the National Outdoor Leadership School and has spent several years as a wilderness instructor for organizations including the National Wildlife Federation and Outward Bound. I stumbled across Megan's work on Amazon <laughs> out of all places while researching books on ecotherapy and forest bathing and nature is nurture counseling and the natural world stood out which is one of Megan's books and so I reached out and here we are having this conversation I learned again so much about the healing power of nature and how can we bring classical healing modalities, talk therapy, psychotherapy, and all of that beautiful stuff, how can we bring that outdoors? And how can we basically co-create with nature and help individuals heal through that? All of that beautiful stuff is being explored in this episode with Dr. Megan Delaney. So, Megan, uh, moving into this conversation, um, what do you feel like is um, the important context that myself and your audience need in order to understand um, what it is that you are doing uh, personally and professionally um, in your life? That's a... Um 
kind of a broad question. I guess you can think about it in terms of personally, like how I got to where I am and like, I think where we are in, you know, our evolution as a species on the planet. Mm. <laughs> um, so I guess I would say, um, you know, if you look historically at us as like living creatures on this, you know, diverse planet, um, we've gone through some pretty radical changes in the last 100, 150 years. Um, and I think some of those kind of radical changes, we haven't really kept up what I would say our connection to the natural world and, and in how that then impacts basically our mental health. That's my interest, if that makes sense. How I got here was more of a journey. You know, my parents were teachers or public education teachers here in the United States. Um, and that kind of equates to not a huge amount of money. Um, and then also we have here, we have a system where our summers are off. Um, and so there were a few summers where my parents took us um, all over the United States, basically camping. Um, and I don't know, there was something about like, you know, as a child, you don't really even realize that this is your experience. You know, you go along with what basically what your parents are doing. But as I got older, I realized that, that that's like sparked a, you know, passion for travel, a passion for um, kind of experiencing more natural places. And also like my own internal conflict with um, being inside too much. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was in college and um, afterwards I did some programs that trained me in terms of being like a wilderness instructor. I worked with a company called, I, I took a course in college with the National Outdoor Leadership School in Kenya, Africa for a semester. Um, which kind of blew my mind uh, in all kinds of ways. I was only 20 years old at the time. Um, and when I came back to the States, um, I started working for some um, companies that, that did wilderness therapy, basically. Um, and after college, lived across the States a little bit doing that. And what that did is kind of opened my eyes to the transformational power of the natural world on, like, people. <laughs> and so what I saw in those you know, moments were basically children that would come in with real traumatic uh, life experiences, being able to kind of recreate their sense of connection to the natural world and themselves, you know, and be able to heal through that experience. Um, I didn't really understand it at the time was I wasn't trained as a, as a therapist. I just was literally witnessing the transformation. Um, and Yet, you know, you can spend, some people spend their entire lives living outside, but I ended up like coming back to the New Jersey, New York area um, and working in corporate for a while. Um, and I was in New York City on 9-11 and that was kind of a transformational experience for me, realizing that like how quickly life can change um, and that I wasn't doing anything that I wanted to do. Right. Like sitting in a cubicle in a corporate system was not fulfilling personally or professionally and went back to school to get a um, master's in counseling. And when I was there, I met a professor, um, my professor, Gloria Pierce, who taught a class on eco psychology. And a lot of the things started clicking for me. <laughs> 
Mm. And basically, eco-psychology is this concept that I think is intuitive in a lot of actual indigenous people, um, especially in the states, the indigenous cultures in the United States have a true real connection to the natural world, um, especially, you know, in their in their like practices and roots. Um, but like our industrialized lives really are disconnected in so many ways um, from so many things in the natural world. Like um, so many people don't really know where their food comes from or where their water comes from, or, you know, if they were to need to create their own food, how to do that. Um, we spend 96, I think, percent of our time inside now um, on average, not everybody, obviously, some people have different life. Um, but in the States, we, we are such a, especially at the, so, so many parts of the United States are, you know, car-based systems now where we don't have walking. Um, my town that I live in, there's no sidewalks to walk on to get to, you know, a town center where you can do your shopping or whatever. Um, and so back in the 60s and 70s, some psychologists and ecologists and environmentalists started thinking about that, you know, as academics do, um, <laughs> and started combining or thinking about how that, that combines into, um, you know, this concept of the, the like, psychological impact of our connection to the natural world. Um, and then how do we, like, extrapolate that into our own life experiences? So right. how's that in the long answer to get here? <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, it's just another potent example of, Sorry. how life is you know and yeah right how we as individuals are moving through this experience and this incarnation and where if we allow it the flow uh, can take us and look what you're doing now um and what a what a waste it would have been if you were just to sit in that cubicle so you mm -hmm. you you know you really yeah, you took the leap of faith and you followed that curiosity. And that's also the question that I would like to get into a little bit is like, what was the, can you tr describe that intrinsic motivation where that was coming from for you to explore this new pathway professionally and personally after, you know, being in that corporate world um, that maybe, I don't know, was alive within you your whole life or... I don't know, was ignited then? So a lot of the concepts that I learned about in that class resonated with me so much um, because a lot of what some eco, what, what eco psychologists talk about is a lot of anxiety that we feel intrinsically or subconsciously about the um, effects that are, are happening through, you know, climate change to the natural world. And so what does that create, but a sense of anxiety about like the sustainability of our planet, um, watching natural species um, and plants and animals literally disappear, um, losing habitats, even seeing your own um, place in space change physically. There's a term called solastalgia, 
where you actually feel nostalgic for your like your place as you watch it become developed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the overconsumptionism of of all the materialistic kind of consumer driven ways that you know our society generates income, <laughs> um, even the waste that produces. Uh, the things that you have to throw out, all of that through my coursework, I was like, oh, that's why like there's a piece of me that feels not okay, right? Like there's this like this anxiety. It's almost like, um, you know, seeing the earth and we love to, you know, do this where we, you know, and there's a fancy word for this, but how we create like human traits onto inanimate objects, right? Um, um and call, especially the earth, we use feminine terms, you know, mm-hmm, but watching mm-hmm. her literally die, you know, um, around us. Um, if we don't, if we're thinking about it, it's really stressful and overwhelming um, and scary, right? And I think that that is the, what, what really like hit home for me that some of the like subconscious fear and anxiety I had, you know, was explained through this concept. The other thing that I felt when learning about this was like, oh, this is why I feel so like connected when I'm in, for me, it's like forests. So like when I'm in a forest or um, a place of a lot of trees, like it just feels um, safe and warm and connected for me. Like I love being in those places. Some places, some people, especially I live on the East Coast, um, a lot of people that I um, work with here like are connected to the ocean. Um, and then also, do you feel like a sense of like connection to to the little land that you're on, that you're living on or around, you know? What does that do is create this kind of ecological identity where you feel like you want to care for that as much as it cares for you, right? And so in eco-psychology, we, and, and, and then in the applied sense of that, as we do the work with um, clients as therapists, um, we teach a concept of reciprocity, which really we should teach just as a human being, yeah. you know, in general. And this is why I think it's so like, you know, it makes so much sense to do this in a therapeutic sense um, is we don't just take, right. We don't, we don't use the natural world. We, we have a reciprocal relationship with it so that whatever we need we also give back in whatever way we can honestly that should be how we treat all our relationships right yeah. like if you think yeah. about a relationship you have with another human like is it reciprocal i mean there's going to be times like i have children right they drained me when they were little right that's just <laughs> normal there's some there's sometimes there's times in relationships where people need you more right like um, they're grieving or they're sick right but and then in time like some of that cycles back to you and what you need. Um, and so like that should be a natural flow and process. And so a lot of things that I teach in my classes is that like, how do we give back to the natural world? And so a big piece for me has been integrating, you know, volunteer work that I do um, for this place around me that I love. So I particular, in particular, I volunteer with a, we have a really incredible park system where I live and, and give back some time. But also that fills me up. Right. So like while I'm doing that work, um, I am outside. I'm with I made new friends. Um, you know, I get filled up, you know, being in that place. But um, yeah, it's that 
I totally lost where you started, but that's what I like come back around to a lot is this like concept of like, you know, are we then connected to this, our place in space, our place in space, right? Do we feel grounded here? It's interesting in the States because we're such a melting pot of people from all different cultures. I think, um, except for indigenous people who also mm -hmm. like were like physically and violently transplanted from their own like place and space that have to, there's so much healing that has to be done around that and reconciliation. Um, but for immigrant people, um, you know, it's like you left your homeland to come here and it might be multiple generations ago, but I know of people that have gone back to their like lineage, right? And have felt a connection to the land. I personally have Irish roots, right? So the first time I went to Ireland, I felt like really deeply connected to the land there, right? Indigenous people here in the United States say you think back um, to your mother's mother's mother, right? And where she was born and that's like your roots, you know? And so you can literally, they say that you can carry a little piece of the land in a necklace or something. And like, if it's not where you're at now, it's where your, you know, your roots are. Mm. I just love that concept. Um, so I do see like, you know, we're, you know, I really like to try to create a sense of connection to the land for my students in particular here so that they take care of it, right? So that's my long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, so many beautiful bits and pieces in there. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, something that comes up and I mean, like I, I yeah, probably can name it as a quarter life crisis that I'm just moving out mm -hmm. of <laughs> somewhat. And good. these are growth opportunities, Maxi. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's not what happens to us. It's what, what we make it mean. So I make it mean something. And these conversations certainly help to organize my sometimes, yeah, wild stream of streams of consciousness and <laughs> compartmentalize them inside of myself yeah. and find a place. Um, but what I want to say with that is a little bit that I feel the weight of that heaviness um, and of that of that burden that my generation and the ones after are carrying environmentally and spiritually and um, ancestrally as well. So being in Germany, you know, there's a fair share of our burden that we are carrying. So I guess a question that I would like to ask you, uh, having said that, is um, using your tools and ecotherapy as a modality, um, how can we as individuals, um, how can we facilitate that connection to our natural environment? And how can we even though it might be very urban at times as well. So what steps can we take in order to um, connect ourselves? Because I personally believe there's tremendous healing to be found and that will basically translate into your actions. But first I need to facilitate a connection. So, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that, that makes me think about is, you know, and this is maybe the therapist in me is like, tell, you know, what I would ask a client is really to kind of talk about their earlier, you know, uh, connection to the natural world and what was that facilitated like, and to be really transparent that for a lot of people, the natural world or, you know, natural spaces aren't, weren't safe, 
you know, if you grew up in an urban environment that, <clears throat> you know, didn't have safe green spaces that sometimes natural spaces didn't feel safe for you, you know, mm. or were so, um, you know, like you couldn't go out after dark because in the, in the park there were drug dealers or, you know, people that might hurt you. And so for not everybody, they didn't have the same experience, obviously, that I had, you know, in which my parents took us camping and facilitated kind of a different safe connection to, to nature. So it kind of depends on where your, your roots are coming from. For some people, I'll like in the States, I've talked to people from African descendancy that talked about trees being very triggering, you know, because of the lynching and things that happened in the United States. So it's like unpacking that first and really kind of helping think through like, oh, where did my connection to the natural world come from? And where do I feel most safe? So then for some other people, it might be like their little corner of the world, you know, it could be like a backyard that you might have or a park that you that you go to. It could be an animal, you know, um, maybe a, an urban in an urban environment. You don't have as much natural spaces around you, but you have, you know, an animal that you care for or, you know, um, whatever it might be, you know, fish or a cat or a dog. That, too, is our connection to the natural world. There are things that you can do to bring nature in inside. It's called like the biophilic effect. Like if you can bring pieces of nature into your home, into your office, that um, actually alone can make you feel a little bit better. The research shows that being outside in as little as five minutes produces like good effects for you, you know? Um, so even if you're feeling kind of stuck or bad, like going outside as long as it's safe, like actually can make you feel better breathing the air. And so doing it in small doses might be a way. Being aware of like where you feel good. Like, you know, for me, again, it's like around trees. Like I feel good around trees. Um, I love sitting in, I love smelling the, um, you know, like different smells of trees. There's actually science behind that too, right? Through this concept of Shinran Yoku, which is studied extensively in like South Korea and Japan, where people do actual forest baths, where they go into the forest to bathe in the forest in a very like meditative, purposeful way <clears throat> to help, you know, alleviate stress and, and bring in the good chemicals into your brain and that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would say starting with identifying and thinking through your like even attachment history with the natural world and what that looks like, you know, maybe unpacking things that you've been told by your family of origin about it, um, and then developing your own kind of identity around it and what that feels good for you. Um, and then maybe trying a little something that you haven't tried before, you know, um, here in Monmouth County, we have this amazing park system that does facilitates hikes, right? So if you're somebody who's never really taken a hike before, um, maybe you have a terrible sense of direction and going out into the woods by yourself, which I would not recommend for people that don't know how to do that is, is could be dangerous, you know, go with a group of people that know what they're doing, you know. One of the things I do in my class is I teach a class um, where we go canoeing for three days. Um, and my students, all of them, like most of them have never been like camping before, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a big leap for them 
Um, but they feel safe because we've created now before we go to before we go camping, we've created um, you know a group culture together uh, of trust and mutual understanding, and like we talk a lot about what it's going to look like. We do a lot of planning, and then we go and experience it. Um, and then the other side of it is you know what kind of lessons have we taken from that? You know. Um, we pushed ourselves maybe outside of our comfort zone a little bit, but there were moments where we were really kind of, you know, mindful about the beauty around us, the time we spent together. We made sure of that. Um, so it really kind of just depends on, you know, where you are and what makes you feel good. Um, you can bring in plants into your, into your space that you can care for. You can, try plants are funny um people are always saying well I, I kill plants i mean that's okay right this is what compost is for right um it's like you know you try to care for something sometimes you have to learn how to nurture it best there's a lesson in that right um so bringing things into your home venturing out a little bit thinking about what makes you feel good volunteering maybe with a um a beach cleanup or, you know, a park cleanup to meet people that also connect to the natural world are little steps that you can take. You can also go really far, right. And really kind of develop um, your connection to the natural world in different ways. They're studying this concept of awe um, in that we find moments of awe. That's a very spiritual way of like connecting to experiences or places. And there's a lot of awe facilitated by nature, right? So like going to watch a sunrise or a sunset can be something very awe producing can make us feel big, like a part of something bigger, you know, feel us, uh, make us feel those feelings, right, that are associated with those, that spirituality, you know, connection, grounding, you know, um, more of a sense of belonging, whatever it might be. The sunrise and sunsets are beautiful, right, because it also gives like a beautiful and natural way of starting the day and ending the day. You also can feel that, you know, sense of awe and like vistas or, you know, when you're standing on a mountain or looking at a mountain range, um, and all those experiences, of, people crave that, but also like you can, you don't have to go to a mountaintop to experience awe. You know, you can experience awe by being mindful of your surroundings, taking a minute to, to notice, you know, a flower growing out of the sidewalk or a bird that's sitting in the tree or, um, you know, whatever it might be, a beautiful plant, um, a snowflake, anything like that can give facilitate kind of those experiences of awe mm. the other thing that researchers are looking at is like how much time in the natural world really is transformative you know um, because what what they do say is that extended periods of time really in natural spaces especially disconnected from technology um, helps reset you know our senses our ability to um, be present, you know, um, and also, you know, dials up to creativity. And so 
a lot of us thought like spending like 30 days in the net, like really disconnected is something that you needed to like reset, you know, cleanse or whatever it might be. And what they're finding is that really those long-term effects of like immersive experiences in nature's nature can be like achieved in three days. So if you mm. have a moment, read, um, read about it. There's this, uh, an author named um, Florence Williams that I love. Um, she's a journalist, but she writes about, um, she does a really great job kind of writing about the science in a way that non-scientists can read. She wrote a book called The Nature Fix and Why Nature Makes Us Happy, Healthier, and More Creative, and really kind of unpacks the, neuro, like the neuroscience behind it in a way that we can digest. She also did a... Um, an audio book called the three day effect in which she kind of explores the research behind, you know, taking people out into natural spaces for three days can really help, you know, reset that, you know, intrinsic clock for, for creativity and, and for, you know, being a little more present with ourselves and also like, you know, you know, soaking in the healing power of the, of, of the naturals of the natural world. So it doesn't have to be, you know, um, a whole month or whatever you can do it in a weekend if if you can if you can make the time. Mm. So that's some there's some really cool things that are happening. There's a lot of research about like our connection to the natural world and how it makes us feel. A lot of people are you know, measuring that, um, like measuring those forest bath that bathing and how it, it affects our blood pressure and our you know our cortisol levels and all those types of things. What I'm doing is now, like, how do we translate that into actual therapy, right? So I'm a therapist. I teach, I teach their uh, counseling, you know, counseling um, counselors and a psychology program. So then how do we, like, um, kind of operationalize that? And so um, I have a private practice, and I have the, really, I have the um, privilege to be able to do it outside, Um so all of, pretty much all of my clients I see in natural spaces. Um, I'm able to do that because I have a small private practice. You know, if I was seeing 20, 30 clients a week, it might be harder whether, you know, yeah. not everybody has the ability to do it. Um, but because my practice is small. And what I've found in that work, and a lot of it's walk and talk in a local park, is that my clients don't want to go back to an office. So I'll give you an example. Um, this past Friday, um, it was raining here and I actually have access to an office space on Fridays. And I said to my clients, like, do you want to go sit? And they're like, no. <laughs> so like literally we'll suit up rain boots and rain and we'll walk in the rain. Um, and they prefer it, you know? So what, what, that means to them is like it is an hour of their time a week where they know that they're immersed in 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 nature um it's so cool because my clients get to know like the trail that we use and we see here the different seasons um and so now with all the leaves down we're like observing birds and we're seeing more of you know the space laid out and my clients are really observant of this now um, there's so many metaphors in the natural world that relate to our life experiences that if you let kind of naturally happen, clients will come to. Um, I'll give you two examples. Mm -hmm. I was working with a psychiatric nurse whose um, life was 
you know, her job was demanding and difficult and she was working with some of the most sick people. Um, and it was really just nonstop, um, for her. And we would go for walks and she's funny because she would like take off, you know, like, um, <laughs> you, you know, she, you could tell clients, like clients have different paces kind of depending on their, um, you know, you're huffing and puffing, keeping up with her. And as we were walking quickly, um, we came upon this caterpillar. It's beautiful, orange, black, white caterpillar. Um, we, she stopped and looked at it. Now, mind you, the caterpillar could have been sprinting. I don't know, you know, but it looked in our mind mm -hmm. like it was going really slow. You know, it was kind of just cruising along. And she took a giant breath and said, oh, I need to slow down. Right. Like literally the. I could have said that to her a million times, like, girl, you need to slow down. Like, yeah. you know. Uh, she wasn't going to hear it. She had to hear it from herself, but it was facilitated through this interaction through nature that really kind of got her to a place where she's like, this thing is beautiful. And it's, it's reminding me that I too am that, and I need to slow down. Another example was yeah, a friend of mine was working with a young boy who um, had had a lot of trauma in his life and um, they were walking and saw a, you know, um, a tree that had fallen over and that was starting to rot, you know, <laughs> kind of like the cycle of life. I think the boy had experienced loss. And through that, of course, a new bud of a tree was growing, a little baby tree. And the boy stopped and looked at the tree and said, that's just like me. Right. So these incredible moments that can be facilitated through the metaphors of the natural world literally are everywhere, you know, mm. um, as opposed to, and there's nothing wrong with sitting in an office, right? So sometimes that's a safe place for people, but um, I just feel like that there's so much to see and experience. And, and yes, that can be distracting sometimes, but I'm okay with that. Like I, I personally think the distraction, <clears throat> excuse me, the distractions that happen in the natural world like are facilitated by nature and like we should be mindful of that right that that creates a moment where we're like connected and mindful about what's happening around us um the other thing that is really cool about the walk and talk in nature therapy is that i think it prevent it provides like a literal like movement right so we're literally moving through whatever we're working on so rather than sitting in it Right. We're literally moving through it. And so we talk, I do have clients that talk a lot about trauma. <clears throat> My sessions with them, they cry. Sometimes we sit if they need to cry and sit. That's okay. Sometimes they cry and walk. Um, and what I find is that they can get kind of through that a little bit more. And I'm not trying to rush anybody, but they can like literally work through that while they're moving. It also kind of stimulates the movement is a bilateral stimulation of your brain. Um, and they're working on the science around that, but is, you know, we're tapping into both the logical and the emotional side while we're moving, um, which kind of helps kind of, you know, get those pathways moving so that we, if we're, if we have trauma stuck, you know, in an emotional side, we can start thinking about it perhaps and vice versa. So there's so much cool stuff to do in the natural world, in the therapeutic space. Um, and the, the other thing that I'm starting to study now, and I'm not the only one doing this, but um, this is my new curiosity, is um, in our work as therapists, um, 
I mean, there's so many other people that, that experience this too, but there is a very high rate of burnout <clears throat> because there's so much, like if you're going to do the work well, right? Like it's, it's hard, right? Like if you really are going to help your clients work through their emotional pain, like it just, it does take a toll and, and there's a lot of burnout. What I'm seeing is that the people doing the work with ecotherapy, whatever that might be, walk and talk sessions, sitting by the beach, doing more adventure-based things. I have a friend who does paddle boarding with her clients, which is super cool. Um, those, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing from them, and I need to actually, you know, connect this with like an empirical study that those people are like less burnt out. Hmm. So the work that, because they're getting re, their, their buckets being refilled themselves by being in nature and having the time in the natural world and maybe moving, um, they're feeling better so that they could be better therapists. I personally, like I see six, seven clients a week. <clears throat> so I do six or seven hours of walking in the woods. There are weeks when, you know, I don't know, like around the holidays where my clients have other things going on or, you know, in the ebbs and flows of the work, <clears throat> I feel it. Like I am not like as motivated, as energetic, as connected, as grounded. Um, I'm a little more cranky, you know, <laughs> on -hmm. those days, all those weeks really where I'm not getting that six or seven hours. Again, in the, in our like kind of industrialized world, we're really, if you add it all up, we're only getting a few hours a week, not even like outside if we don't make an effort to do it. <clears throat> so that's another little thing you can do is like, think about like how much of my time am I actually spending outside? <clears throat> and then how can I maybe increase that by 20%? I don't know and see how it makes you feel. You know? Yeah. I know the winters in some places, the winters are tough. Um, I actually think, cause people say to me all the time here, like, Oh, you take your clients out in the winter. And I'm like, yeah, cause that's sometimes when we need it the most, you know, when we're like, Absolutely. we need to rest. Don't get me wrong. There's, I think that's important, but like, that's why we have seasonal affect disorder. Right. Some of it has to do with the sun, I'm sure. But, um, but also, like, are we actually making time to to be outside? Hey, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. That. Very brief mm. reminder. Was if so you much enjoyed in this episode mm. thus far. And I was you can yes. do me an enormous sort of like <laughs> picking up on like several threads that were alive in our life right within now. me about and like previous conversations it, I had on the podcast in a um, with, for example, Dr. Stefan Harding. It, He's like one of the founding members of the Schumacher College in the in the UK, and he is basically a disciple, if you want to say so, of James Lovelock and. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Mm, was so much in there. Mm, and I was yes. sort of like <laughs> picking up on like several threads that were alive in our life within me about like previous conversations I had on the podcast um, with, for example, Dr. Stefan Harding. He's like one of the founding members of the Schumacher College in the, in the UK. And he um, is basically a uh, disciple if you want to say so for, of uh, James Lovelock and the Gaia theory and he um, introduced me to so much about 
the rhythms of nature and the analytical understanding of it. So he referenced Goethe many times and how he would look at a plant and how he would really systematically analyze a stem and like a look at a plant from the bottom up and just like had a whole like spiritual cathartic moment by looking at, at a flower for like two or three hours. And that being said, I truly believe like what you what you shared, like there is going out and then there is going out. So basically when I'm observing myself and sometimes I'm using a walk to do some part of work outside. So basically I take my phone and I reply to people via voice notes or something like that. So that's like... And then obviously the experience I have in nature is not the same it's like i'm not as connected like not at all actually sometimes i'm like i don't even realize until i go out again that i don't know like a tree was chopped off around the corner where i usually always walk by or something like that so something very obvious and like a big um i i miss because i'm staring on a on a device and so i really truly believe that yeah, there is like the intention behind doing anything matters. And especially when going outside, I found myself having a whole different kind of appreciation for what's actually going on if I'm truly present and if that is also my intention. Um, so, so, so I feel, yeah. That's true. You can do a grounding exercise, which I do. And I mean, this is just a trick that I teach my students. If, you're feeling, you know, ungrounded. We do a five senses grounding. Maybe you've done this or heard this before where you're outside and you name five things you can see, four mm. things you can hear, three things you can smell or touch, and two things, maybe two things you can touch and one thing you can taste. Just so then maybe that will help. <clears throat> we call it the five senses grounding, but maybe that helps, you know, in that moment to be like, okay, like I notice the trees, I notice the uh, the bird, I notice the grass, I know whatever you know, and 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 that just helps a little bit with connecting to wherever you are. Yeah, but yeah, it's so easy to get lost in our devices. I mean, we're so hyper conditioned to be product productive constantly um, that it doesn't feel natural to not be productive, or that your time is wasted, or you're not using it enough or wisely enough. Um, when in, in fact, the opposite is sometimes true, where you actually need that time, right, you know, to connect with yourself, <clears throat> to have moments of, you know, mindfulness and rest or whatever. Um, sometimes yeah, I find... it's hard to fight our brains, right? Like our brains are going too fast. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I found I found there's a massive imbalance between my input of information versus the processing of that information so basically i'm constantly like over consuming and in my case it's just because by profession like podcasts and things of that nature like i'm taking in a lot like it's it's going to be constantly sort of like there's going to be high value information being delivered to my ears and also audio books um, so like the information in and of itself is really valuable and I actually want to absorb it. But then if on the other side of that spectrum, there is not enough time to actually integrate that wisdom and that knowledge, um, I can 
read, I can say I read a hundred books or listened to a hundred books, but I truly have not really uh, read one properly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there's like one saying of Naval Ravikant. What, did he, what does he say? He says, um, um, you can read a hundred books um, and basically don't know anything and then or you can read the same book a hundred times until you actually really get what, what's being said. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that is something with nature where it can really help me or where it tremendously helps me to integrate and actually to facilitate boredom on purpose and finding that boredom equals creativity. Uh, that really is true for me. I'm like, where did that come from now? Just like some thread of some sort of like wisdom lightning strike. I'm just like, okay, finally I cleaned the vessel enough so I can pick up on the frequencies that the universe is trying to, <laughs> I don't know, it's all out there, you know? But Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's amazing. I think some, and that's the like trick now with even raising children, right? Like how do we, um, whew, I mean, how do we, how do we facilitate a balance between how much technology they're getting and how much creative play? There's a really cool organization called a thousand hours outside, you know, um, there's a couple of different organizations doing things that are, you know, making aware. It's funny that it happens through technology, but that's just the way it is. I mean, <laughs> Um, you know, being really intentional, perhaps, of making time of letting your kids, you know, have creative, non-electronic time in natural spaces so that their own creativity and flow and connection can can be nurtured, right? Mm. So it's hard. It's hard because not everybody, you know, it's it's hard to have time to do it. It's hard when people have, you know, two incomes or whatever it might be, um, or you're a single parent, but, um, but, you know, but I also think it's so critical for our, for our children to, 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 you know, facilitate that connection to the natural place or spaces so that they feel, you know, also, I know that, that a lot of the generation, like your generation, Greta Thunberg and, 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 and younger people, climate activists, um, there's a lot of indigenous climate activists that are saying, you know, we've inherited this broken world, you know, um, and I, I, I hear them like it's, it's, it's a lot of trauma that they have to actually maybe try to work through. Um, So yeah, all that's on our mind, right? Yeah, it is. And that being said, I, I wanted to ask you, so because from what I understood and I and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I've spoken to other people of like similar like modalities and basically what they've been pointed out is that in the field of um, therapy in combination with nature, um, nature in and of itself is doing, facilitating a lot of healing in and like in itself. Um, so a question that comes to mind for me then as a bystander looking at your work, for example, and what you're describing, I'm like, okay, so how does then, like, what exactly is your role as a therapist within ecotherapy then working with nature and how also does it differ from, let's say, conventional psychotherapy in an office inside sitting down? Okay, let's talk to me. So yeah, I would be curious to hear what you, what you say. Yeah, about that. So- 
It's a good question. Um, so, you know, my work um, with some of the work that I do with my clients, or at least and, and try to teach my students is, you know, I'm really having conversations around their connection to the natural world. Again, like where that came from, what was it like for them when they were a child? You know, what, um, how do they feel when they're around it? What are the places that they, that they um, feel safe with? Um, you know, in, in terms of being, and then while we're doing the work, right, in the natural world, whether that means walk and talk therapy or whatever, <clears throat> you know, we facilitate those, like, conversations around mindfulness and slowing down and being observant, things that we can kind of do naturally in outdoor places. A lot of times we think about it as nature, as the, like, the third, or the second therapist, like, the you know, it's like my co-facilitator. Um, and so, you know, what, what, what do most clients come to you with? It's most of the time it's either anxiety or depression or relationship issues, right? So it's like, how do we heal those? Um, a lot of times it's their relationship with their own self, right? Or, or, you know, having to work through childhood trauma or whatever that might be, you know? And so what are the ways that we can, you know, re- <clears throat> we like heal ourselves through 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 healthy connections right healthy relationships you know th those relationships that nurture us um, and so a lot of times that is the natural world I mean basically like obviously through water and food we are nurtured like that way um, and so being mindful of that and then also being you know really aware of the the nurture that is provided in natural spaces and then developing that concept of reciprocity, right? Like that we um, give back as much as we receive, but sometimes, and this happens with, I just happen to work with a lot of clients that give more than they receive. And some of that is creating like healthy boundaries around that. Um, and so finding the connections that, that are healthy that way, you know? so that we can so like my my work is kind of twofold i want to heal the person but i also want to help them develop like an ecological self so that you know we feel like we can build you know this better understanding about uh, the natural world in ways that we can you know partner and also heal it right then that creates you know more of a um a i guess a sense of hope that that the natural world has longevity, that we're not necessarily going to destroy it all. I want to make sure that we have people connected to their place in space, you know, so that they feel the need to protect it. The animals, the plants, you know, that's sort of mm. some of that I think is this the natural part of healing, right? If we're feeling connected and grounded and, and like a part of where we are, then we feel a sense of belonging and safety and, and connection. Um, so not just with people, but with our, with our planet. So how I think that, you know, I suppose it can be done in a, I haven't really done it in a, an office space. I know it can be done, you know. Um, I teach two classes um, about this um, and I am a learner through doing, right? So like, um, <clears throat> I learn best when I'm actually physically doing it, right? So I teach my class 
all outside. So we have a whole semester of outdoor experiences where we're at different ecosystems, you know, thinking about different things. Um, and by the end of the semester, my hope is, you know, that the my my students now have like a deeper understanding of their connection to the natural world and ways they can integrate it into the counseling space, you know. Um, <clears throat> even having conversations around the, the climate stress and eco grief and things that we feel, and then also maybe even doing some of the work outside. One of the, one of the positive, is there anything positive from the pandemic? I don't know. But one of the positive things that I would say is that when I was talking about this work before pre-pandemic, there were so much like conversations about like, I don't know, um, logistics, and um, um, like even like liability, mm. you know, of, of, of doing, you know, counseling in natural spaces. What I think the pandemic helped kind of facilitate was this, you know, one of the things that happened was that people couldn't go outside, right? And like, that was really hard. Like all of a sudden we realized that we have access to, you know, a lot of us have access to natural spaces and we were told we couldn't go into it. I mean, it was like, like, I can't even tell you how many people, when we, when the parks here shut down, people panicked, you know, and there was a lot to be panicked over, right? But, um, but, uh, but not being able to like, you know, go outside and, and breathe natural air was, it was like, it was suffocating even more so than, you know, everything else, not even more so, but as a part of everything else that was going on. But what happened is, is that within the therapy world, people started seeing clients, not just, you know, virtually, but they started saying, okay, well, we can't come to an office because that's dangerous, but maybe we can go sit outside, you know, right. and all of a sudden, you know, that made more sense. And so like the liability of it started to get a little less like worrisome for people. And now when I talk to insurance companies about, you know, listen, I, I need liability insurance as a therapist, but I also see my clients outside. Whereas maybe five, six years ago, that was like, nope, you know, now they're like, okay, that makes more sense. Now, as a therapist, you have to do a lot of, you know, you can't just meet a client for the first time outside. Like there's things that you have to go through and, you know, protocols that are important to make sure that that's the right space for your client, um, you know, that they want and are able to do that. You talk about confidentiality, you know, and that sometimes that can't always be guaranteed. Um, and there's going to be times where we run into people. Um, what is that? And then you talk through your client, like what you know, how do you want to introduce me? Like, what are things that, you know, we'll stop talking in those moments, that sort of thing. I haven't really had really an issue. <laughs> Some of my clients are funny. They're like, I don't care. I'll just say, this is my therapist, you know? <laughs> um, this kind of depends on the client. And other clients will, you know, will be like, yeah, well, you know, if I see somebody I know, I'll just say, this is my coworker or something like that, you know? So, um, so we just have those conversations up front. We talk about allergies and you know, things that are, you know, important with people, bee allergies or that sort of thing. So you have to be careful, you know, um, you have to make sure that you're taking clients that are appropriate. You know, you have to keep track of your own safety, you know, as a therapist too. So those are just things that are just important to talk about.
It's actually so like it for me it's like super interesting because like honestly I would have never thought of those things but now that you mentioned it, it makes perfect sense and something that comes to mind is um, a friend of mine a dear friend of mine and a beautiful soul he um, owns the healing forest in Ireland um, he has also been on the podcast he's doing he's also a licensed like, ecotherapist he does a uh, guided forest walks and forest bathing sessions and all that and basically what he said is that when he works with people who haven't been exposed to nature in a while meaning they live in predominantly urban environments um being um exposed and in his case it's primary forest it's untouched um it's not there's nothing that is basically artificially sort of man-made um and therefore you know the birds the animals in general the vegetation everything is is can be can be for those kind of people very overwhel overwhelming so it can actually it can like it, it, it's frightening for them like some in, at, so depending on when you when they're entering the forest so in the evening too quiet they're not used for like a surrounding that is as quiet as the forest or in the morning they are super scared of all the different sounds of the birds when they're like awakening and they're like singing and humming and whatnot. They're like, and, and for me as somebody who grew up in, in the countryside, it's like, yeah, completely like I, I was oblivious to that. And I was just like, what, what can yeah. you, is that, is that a thing? But it is a thing. So, yeah. um, and that's like with you as a therapist, taking a walk outside with people that's within your, responsibility as well so i'm i'm I, i yeah i picked up on that and and yeah i just wanted to highlight it because yeah like i say for me as like a neutral observer of something like that or just like me talking about it it's just like i yeah. wouldn't uh, would have never thought that that's a thing <laughs> so it was a lesson i had to learn you know because you know you, you've <clears throat> you know as you become a therapist you learn that like your worldview isn't the same as everybody else's well, shocker right or like um <laughs> you know you didn't have the same upbringing as everybody else um and that that you know you develop the sense of um, openness and empathy towards the fact that everybody's life experience is different. Um, but that had to be taught, you know, I just kind of assumed everybody loved the natural world, but well, you know, what's not to love about it, but mm. that was a real important lesson for me to learn that, that, yeah, like not, not everybody feels comfortable, safe. Um, you know, it's, it's overwhelmed. The senses might be overwhelming and all that sort of thing. So it's really important to have to have, you know, really kind of in more conversations than you think, you know, when I take my, my students canoeing, we talk about it, what is it going to look like? What is it, you know, going to feel like, what are we going to do when we get to camp, you know? Um, and, you know, what are some of the things you're, you're going to experience um, just so that they're a little bit less anxious um, and um, they can't prepare, pre prepare for everything, right? That's part of the, the value, but yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have I have another question, which is basically sure. um, so when it comes to the actual like therapy modalities that you are using. Um, so besides the um, geographic change of scenery, so basically you're outside. Um, is there then particular exercises that on top of like talking to them and doing, I guess, like that's potentially maybe similar to like talk therapy that you could do in an office is there s stuff that you exclusively do outdoors with them so you know um 
there's a lot of mindfulness exercises that I do that are nature-based outside, you know, where we might do a rooted exercise, you know, where we stand amongst trees and then do a mindful exercise where we literally, you know, visualize ourselves growing roots. Um, You know, so there's a lot of other things that, um, that I do. I I mean, the, I think the big piece for ego therapy is integrating kind of that connection to the natural world as part of the modality and healing process. So acknowledging the climate stress, the ego grief, you know, bringing that out into, and then, you know, building tools for clients to have coping strategy strategies that involved, you know, the natural, natural world. That being said, there is like, you know, Academics love, you know, numbers and empirical evidence. And so how do the, I think that this modality is grappling, like, how do we, you know, empirically uh, study this, right? I mean, we can study, you know, the effects of stress. I mean, we could do controls, we can do like control trials where, you know, people see ABC, the same therapist inside and, and, and then, you know, some mm. people see inside some people see outside whatever you know there's different ways that we can do it but is there and this is what i've talked to a lot of my um you know you know other ecotherapists about should we be designing like a cognitive behavioral ecotherapy model that we can test right maybe that's for somebody smarter to figure out than me (laughs) like that is the evolution of this world I mean, of this work, I personally um, struggle with it because I think there's something so wild and, and, and natural about, I would hate to like, I don't know, distill ecotherapy into a like um, step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But that's how you actually like, if you do a step-by-step process is kind of how you study whether or not it's effective. So I don't know, maybe there is a model for that. Um I'm yeah, sure that's, somebody's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally fine. Those philosophical questions, right? Like, for me, what's important about the ecotherapy is developing an eco in, in ecological identity in my client, reconnecting them to their natural world, and they're feeling grounded in their place and space. Maybe healing any kind of, you know, disconnection or trauma, helping them like recognize the tools in nature to facilitate healing. Um, and then maybe developing practices of reciprocity in whatever ways that might might work for them. You know what I mean? Could be as simple as way, the way they choose to eat or, or recycle, or you know maybe ultimately giving back to to that. That to me is like how I like bring a mostly a relational cultural lens to the work I do and incorporate kind of ecotherapy around that. You know, mm. um, but I think people do it differently. Yeah. Maybe someday there'll be a model, um, like a, a DBT model um, around it. I don't know. Um, or an EMDR plus ecotherapy model, you know, where we, you know, we, we operationalize ecotherapy to be no, continued. Like, yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, when it comes to me personally, I, for me, nature like in and of itself is like more than enough but i i know i know enough i know some people that you and you were speaking to them as well who might listen to this and who are more on the blue personality type rational thinking um and so yeah for them that might be might be useful but something that i yeah i'd love to see some of those you know I, i would love to see somebody explore that i mean i i would be 
I'd be curious about it. I'm more of a qualitative researcher. I'm like, I guess it's because I'm a therapist. I'm like, tell me about how that feels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know your experience, you know? Um, you know, another person was, would be like, well, let's see, you know, let's see. I mean, they do, you know, with especially with forest bathing, like they do measure, you know, levels of cortisol and, you know, all that sort of thing to, to, to see the effects. But, yeah, I find it always amusing also with um, meditation and yoga. Uh, I mean, 25, 30 years ago or something that would have been pretty niche and very or still very niche and exotic. And now with neuroscience and just the, like the physical apparatus with which they can um, measure things yeah. um, in yeah. the brain and brain circuits and stuff, they now have evidence uh, that it can write down on a piece of paper That's and right. then therefore people trust it more. Whereas I believe like the experience in and of itself, like that's for me, the evidence. So if I go outside and I feel better, even though I cannot put a name tag on it, I can say I feel better. And that's for me, that's yeah. enough. But hey, uh, everyone hey. goes Everybody about it in a different, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you some um, that I stumbled gonna, across. Hold on one second, I'm just gonna close my door after. Oh, yeah, sure. Noise in my house. <laughs> no worries. Um, I did some homework and obviously did preparation for this podcast. And um, I stumbled across um, um, a journey that you took on when you were younger to Kenya. And uh, I wanted to ask you about it and give you some space to voice what change and what or what a learning you were able to distill from that experience. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy to think about, but that was over 30 years ago. Right. So I was a child. Um, it was one of the most transformative eye-opening experiences I've ever had. Um, not only to experience a culture so different than my own, right? Um, but also to see that we, so in that, you know, I did a national outdoor leadership school program in Kenya. I don't think they do it anymore. I think they might be in, um, uh, they might be still in Africa, but in a different place. But, um, you know, um, we spent a month on Mount Kenya hiking it from one all the way to the top, you know, so we started in the tro tropics, basically, and ended up in on a glacier, which is wild. Um, we spent time in the Masai Mara, literally hiking in the Masai Mara. Um, some of us got lost there. That's a whole other experience, you know. Mm -hmm. We spent time on the Indian, on the Indian Ocean. Um, so, I mean, what was transformative for me was... Um, just being in an ecosystem that was so different than the one that I was grew up with to seeing all this just incredible nature, natural spaces, um, but also experiencing a totally different culture. Um, and one of the things that really kind of, you know, I reconciled or at least thought about when I came home was just how much you know, abundance I was surrounded by here, you know, in terms of clean water and, you know, um, you know, access to whatever kind of food I want whenever I want it. And, um, you know, air conditioning and, and running water. Cause at the time, you know, the time and space that I went to, um, 
in you know in parts of Africa that just wasn't what a, you know what they had access to. Um, but it also sparked my own like sense of adventure and curiosity and, and my, you know, my desire to just get to know different types of climates and cultures and peoples, you know. Um, so, like, you know, at 20 years old, it, it was really kind of, you really start to think about like what actually makes you happy, you know, or content or or is it, you know, stuff? Um, yeah, you know, that never was it for me. It was more about experiences and connections and people that I meet in their own stories. And, you know, also like natural places that are so incredible to be able to see. So um, that was really kind of what started kind of this journey on, on wanting to make sure that that was always part of what I was doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So cool. It was yeah, a really incredible so. experience. I feel so lucky to be able to, such a privilege to be able to go. Mm, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, certainly sounded like that also in other podcasts that I'll listen to where you, where you share that experience. Mm, I wanted to, so as we're slowly wrapping up, I wanted to ask you mm, about your motivation. So basically what is it that, Why is this important to you? Why is this work important to you? I, um, one of the things I absolutely love doing is teaching the classes that I teach because, and I love working with my clients too, but, but, but I love, um, I love the being able to facilitate these kind of interactions with my students and then being able to process it with them, right? So we go paddle boarding, we go surfing, we, we go hiking, um, we write and think and kind of explore our own kind of thoughts about it. We read, one of my favorite things to have them read is Robin Kimmerer's um, Braiding Sweetgrass. And we, they read other things about like the connections to nature. And we think about how indigenous cultures have different languages for how they connect to nature than, than for example, our English language. Um, and what I have seen, my little place in space, right, is that since I've been teaching this, um, I've heard now of this little ecotherapy practice and that ecotherapy practice. And, you know, my, my now eight classes, you know, are out, And students are out in the world kind of spreading the message, you know, um, in my little place in space. And again, I'm not the only one doing this, and nor will I ever be. But um, how how cool is it, you know, that that this is rolling off the tongues of, of kind of my little area, right? My little kinosphere. That's what I love. And that mm. keeps me going. Um, I also get to teach outside. Like, what the, you know, like, I... I get to do these incredible things, you know, and I get to really deeply get to know my students and my clients in, in kind of non-traditional ways, which, you know, that to me ultimately fills me up, you know, the connection that I have um, with, with not only the students and the clients in these spaces, but also the spaces, right? The connection that I feel, the, 
the, you know, the things I get to experience. It's great. Mm -hmm. it's, really, it's really cool, right? Like, yeah. It's a, yeah, I wouldn't it's a be lot. very good at sitting at that cubicle anymore. That just was not my, <laughs> that was not my calling, you know, it just was not going to fill my cup or make me want to get up in the morning. I mean, that's kind of hard enough anyway, right? I mean, like, there's just so much going on in the world, make you want to like shove the covers over your eyes that, you know, you need to find something that, you know, makes you feel um, a spark and connection and, you know, excitement to do whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, hmm, last couple of questions. I I ask many of my guests, and I am very curious to hear what you say about them. So, I uh, wanted to ask you, what are you proud of? Um. Well, I'm proud of my kids. They're awesome. You know. <laughs> Mm. Uh, I have two girls and they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, but I am proud of, um, I'm proud of the classes that I've created at, at, at the place I teach and the, um, the work that my students are now doing. Like, that's really cool, you know, and clients. So I get like texts and emails and things like people just send me random pictures of like beautiful places or natural areas or I love when my client you know, will text me and be like, I went outside today. Look at this. You know, mm. I mean, that just, it just fills, fills me up. I'm proud that they're doing that. I'm proud of their, all their work. Um, I love when my students and I'm proud of my students, you know, will say, oh, I did this incredible thing with one of my clients today based on something I learned from your class. You know, um, I'm proud of like the work these young people are doing. Like, you know, these, I went to um, a workshop here in the United States where there were a bunch of young indigenous women um, from all different types of um, cultures that came and talked about their work on climate. Oh my God, like, how can you not feel proud of the work that they're doing? It's just amazing that there's young voices out there that are, um, you know, that are like advocating for, for the natural world, which doesn't have a voice. Yeah. In, 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 you know, it just, it gets, Things happen to it, right? It doesn't actually get, you know, to express you know, what it needs or, or, or even to protect its own self in a lot of ways. So I'm proud of their work too. Mm. What do we need uh, more of in this world? Um, kindness and compassion. And I mean that towards yourself and others. Um, I think everybody should take a course on how to listen. I mean, that's one of the things that we learn in, it's so interesting. A lot of young counselors come to, uh, learn or, you know, learn about becoming a therapist and they all come in saying, you know, I give good advice. And my first thing is like, we well, got to stop. Like, let's not <laughs> what you do. Like literally you need to listen first and foremost, um, so that the healing actually comes from the individual and not from you telling them what to do, right? You might have best intentions or even the, uh, you know, the idea of what, you know, will help, but like facilitating that through listening is, so if we can, you know, yeah, so everybody needs more therapy <laughs> uh, and listening skills, you know, so that we can get to a place of kindness and compassion. Mm. 
Yep. Good luck, right? But that's a big tall order, but I think it's possible. Yeah. No, truly like and listening is it's not it's not waiting for the other party to finish to say what you wanted to say in the first place, but really to um listen and to then address what the other party has shared. And honestly like Sometimes this you simply yeah, like paraphrase yeah. what they say or repeat it so that they're like, Did I hear this is what I heard you say, is that correct? You exactly. Know, that's a true connection, you know. Verify, clarify, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I mean like the podcast for me has been the best uh practicing ground for that like i noticed such a massive difference in all of my personal connections between i'm just like yeah and i'm yeah but it's something you have to really you have to do it you have to practice it like it doesn't yeah. really fall from the trees um yeah. as we would say Sometimes here in germany it's humbling. Yeah. <laughs> um and what do we need less of oh my god crap i mean <laughs> do we need <laughs> stuff you know like Oh, just, I just feel like there's so much stuff. <laughs> um, being really mindful of like what you actually need and what you want and why you want it, right? And do you really need it? And is it feeling something that you could feel through like, you know, something different, like a connection with a person? Um, so there's so much, you know, that there's so much like we could use a blessed visceral and, you know, defensiveness and, you know, thinking that your way is the right way, right? Um, without listening to another person. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think environmentally, we probably could do with less. Mm. Thank you. Not really everybody, Some people actually literally need more, but <laughs> yeah, um, you know what I mean? I guess that's easy for me to say from a privileged stance. There's some people that actually do need more, right? So if the people that like need less could shift that, to the places where you know people need or places or animals or ecosystems need more right and that could be like kind of a that would be really nice to see mm. beautiful thank you mm -hmm. thank you for your time you. truly appreciate yeah truly appreciate you and your work you're doing and um that being said uh just giving you the space like um to point people into the right direction so if anyone is interested in what you're doing like where can we find you oh wow well um thank you for for the time i really love talking about this um i have a website it's needs to be that's something that i need some help with <laughs> mm. it's megandelaneyphd.com um and um yeah so feel free to email me i love hearing from people and i have a lot of you know resources that i can share if people want to learn more about what people are doing in this field because it's really inspiring and interesting interesting and there's a lot of people doing some really good work so Beautiful. happy to share those resources too thank you thank really you appreciate you thank you yeah. hey beautiful listener you have made it all the way through And I want to take a moment to say thank you. And you can do me an enormous favor. It's all I'm going to ever ask from you. And that is to go to your podcast app right now. And if you enjoyed the episode, give the podcast a five-star rating. If you want to write one, two words or sentences, even more powerful, even better, um, 
thank you yeah, already in advance. And also while you're at it, just click on that follow button on that bell notification so that you never miss a new episode. All of that just contributes and it helps me to increase the reach of the podcast. That means I can attract bigger guests and that means I can deliver more powerful episodes. So it's a tiny thing. I'm only going to ask this little favor of you ever, not more, 10, 15 seconds of your time, a couple of clicks. That's it. Makes a huge difference for me as a creator. So thank you so much.